All right, how you doing, everyone? And welcome once again to Big Blue Kickoff Live, brought to you by Coors Light, as always seen right here on Giants.com. The number, as always, is 201-939-4513. At the controls, the lovely Nicole Barros. To my left, the two-time, former two-time Super Bowl champion, David Deal. And, of course, I, Russ Salzberg, yours truly. And most importantly, it's you, the fans out there, because without you, the fans out there, we'd have nobody here to be talking to. So, again, 201-939-4513 is the number. Before we get going, I want to make sure you all remember, you if you subscribe to the Giants Audio Podcast, please note that Big Blue Kickoff Live now has its own dedicated podcast. That's right. So you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or your favorite podcast platform. Again, Big Blue Kickoff Live no longer available in the Giants Audio Podcast, so please subscribe to the Big Blue Kickoff Live podcast. Of course, you can still watch or listen to the show on Giants.com and the Giants app. And now uh, we move forward trying to make break the streak at home against the Miami Dolphins. Uh, listening to the coach today, it's they're still playing it, uh, if you will, close to the vest yep. uh, as far as the quarterback situation goes. Everybody was crowded around Daniel Jones. Then when Daniel Jones got finished with the crowd, then everybody crowded around Eli Manning. <laughs> and I don't know... It's kind of like preseason again, huh? I don't know if... Um, you used to watch because you're younger. If you used to watch the reruns of Hogan's Heroes, of course, Sergeant Schultz. I know nothing. <laughs> I know nothing. I know yeah. nothing. And you know that's that's the way it is. They, you know, um, my gut. I, I should say that my gut feeling is. Well, yeah, I, should, I will say my gut feeling is. Eli uh, starts. Just because if there's any question, I mean, today's Wednesday. They yeah. basically had a walkthrough today. If, if Daniel is not, is not up and running tomorrow, you know. That's uh, pretty much should be that, a telltale that, sign. That, that pretty much is. So we will just, uh, you know, have to see from there. And uh, listen, David, you've been through it. Yep. Um, for, for lack of a better term, what's good about a nine-game losing streak? It sucks. Yeah. You know, it sucks for everybody. Sucks for the fans, except sucks for the players, except for the coaches, for ownership, for everybody. It's, you know, it just is what it is. Uh, but you got to go out. You're professionals. This is not scholarship. You got to yeah. go out. You always say that this ain't scholarship anymore. You got to go out and compete and do your best. You know, the frustrating thing uh, to me what makes the season so frustrating? And you know, we we know you have the young quarterback. You know, there's a lot of other young guys mm -hmm. in there. So many of the losses, you know, you were there. You, you know, were there going into the fourth quarter almost, with, with the exception of the Minnesota game, all of them, and and that's the frustrating thing. It was there. Yeah. And then it's gone. I and know, and that's the thing that you we always talk about, and that you always talk about when you talk about sports or football. It's a sixty-plus minute game. You can't do it for a quarter. You can't only do it for a half. You've got to sustain for four plus quarters. And for this Giants football team, you know, I, I know that I've said this before, but with three games left, you're either part of the problem or you're going to be part of the solution. You're not only playing to make this team next year 
But there's 31 other teams that are sitting here watching you and evaluating the character and man that you are as a football player. And with the circumstances of losing nine straight and being 211, who's going to show up? Who's going to be part of a football team that's going to fight and compete for four-plus quarters regardless of the adversity around them? And that's the true makeup of what champions are made of, and those people will continue to be a part of it. If not, and you don't want to, and you're going to surrender, you won't be on this roster next year. So this is going to be a big test for them at home playing up against the Miami Dolphins. I'm guessing, when this isn't speculation or anything that was told to me, I'm guessing that it would be Eli Manning starting yeah. at the quarterback position, considering the fact it's a high ankle sprain with Daniel Jones. And to be honest with you, what I said last week is this time could actually be very beneficial to Daniel Jones. We always said that he's going to start throughout the rest of the season unless one thing happens, injury. And that happened. And when you look at last season, and I'm not going to compare them, and I know the whole thing will no, come up. No, I know what you but got. think about Sam Darnold last year. When he was in that walking boot, the two games before that, he threw two touchdowns to seven interceptions. If he didn't get that chance to take a step back, breathe, evaluate and watch film and see a veteran do it, he wouldn't have had the second half of that season that he did. So this could be a time for Daniel Jones to get one game, maybe two, depending on what happens this weekend, to sit back, to diagnose what he needs to do, and finish this season on a strong point. You brought up something, uh, you know, either either you're the solution or part of the problem, and you're not, you're not going to be there. I take the attitude, and but you, you're the former player. I take the attitude that it's not just management that's looking at you or the coach is looking at you. No, it's, it, it's I'm you. looking at that's you. That's what I mean. You're, no question. It's, it's the guy in the next locker or locker's over. They're looking at you. And, and guys tend to police themselves. The one thing that I noticed in this locker room, and I'm unfortunately, when I say unfortunately, we're there after every game and in the locker room every week during this losing streak, and I have not seen anybody being cavalier about it. Yeah. I haven't seen anybody not giving a hoot about it. I've, I've seen a positive attitude. And, and I, then I see they all say the same things. Com comes after that Sunday or, or Monday night, whatever it was. God darn it, here we yeah. go again. We had it, you, you know, why can't we go from the field, from, from the practice field onto game day field? Yeah. I mean, and, and that's a, a great point that you bring up is because, you know, the one thing that it comes to sports, when it comes to life, when you can truly and honestly and sincerely be accountable and look the man to the left of you and the man to the right of you and look him in the eye and know that they're fighting just as hard for you as you are for them, that's when things start to change. And I've been a part of these. I've been a part of a 6-10 and 10 team. I've been part of 8-8. Eight and eight. I've been a part of all these. And the funny thing is... Are those players that stepped up when adversity happened like this were the players that helped us win big games in Super Bowls? I think about Dominic Hickson, Chase Blackburn, guys that weren't draft picks, guys that got opportunities in situations just like this and capitalized on them and look at the impact that they had in our years where we won Super Bowls. So when you can start doing that and when you can start separating and segregating who's in and who's out, it makes a big difference for the upcoming season because nobody wants to go through this. Nobody wants to go through a nine-game losing streak like this. But once this season's over with, what are you going to do to change the dynamic and get back to the championship culture here? And, and before we open up the phone lines, which is 201-939-4513, um, well, you also say, you always say you got to be ready at any time. And I, and I watched you on the post-game show 
on Monday night. And I, I believe you brought up a very good point about Julian Love. Yeah. Here's a young guy who, you know, a lot of other rookies got faster playing time. Julian basically just got a cup of coffee or even a sip of coffee on special teams. But that probably is the ideal way to break in a rookie that yeah. position. Because I'll tell you what, when he came in, and you brought this up, he didn't come in just playing. He came in ready to play and contribute. Yeah. He has played very, very well. And the thing that you love about him is is that he learns from his mistakes and you don't see him make the same and mistake he, twice. And he learns quickly. And he learns quickly. Prime example, he had an open field tackle that he missed up against Sanders in this last game. The following open field tackle, he had a tremendous hit, perfect technique, perfect form, and came up with a huge play for a no game. Those are the things that you want to see out of young players. How do they respond when something doesn't go right? And when you have a smart, intelligent, versatile player like Julian Love who came right in, who's been playing all different types of positions that you can see is smart, intelligent, and loves the game, those things show up on film. Yeah, you know, with all the criticism, and criticism always comes with the territory, folks, when you do yeah. 2 and 11. But you are what your record says you are. You, you have a franchise quarterback. I don't think anybody doubts that. Nope. Um, you have one hell of a, one hell of a wide receiver in Darius Slayton. He can flat out play. You, big guy in the middle, Dexter. Yep. Uh, Julius, uh, Julian Love. Yep. You know, and, and and the other kids. I mean, you know, Baker's come around. Ballantyne. I, you know, your draft picks have been pretty good. I, I mean. Think about Ryan Conley before he got yeah, hurt. Well, That's another you. one. I, you know, I was just saying to myself, who am, who am I missing? Fifth-round draft pick out of Wisconsin. Yeah, that was, was sitting there as a signal caller by week five. Yes. That normally doesn't happen, and he handled it very well. Yeah. So uh, that, that's why when, when you hear uh, Coach Sherma say, despite everything, I'm seeing progress, I think that's what he's talking yeah. about. That's what yep. he's talking about. It's just when you don't get the wins at the end of the day, it's hard to see it and believe in it. Frustration mounts. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three. We open up the phone lines. Let's start off in Pennsylvania with Joe. Hello, Joe. You're on with Russ and David. Hey, yeah. Um, yep, there, there's positives, but uh, negatives too. Uh, I think maybe our our defensive back, Baker, might have had his best game there. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, with I agree. You, Joe. Very good. Good you point. You know, he, he played, at least he's coming over, around there in where Beal Looks like he's going through some of the headaches Baker did earlier there, you know. So, but they got to have time to play, and uh, you know it's a good thing. But uh, you know, a, a couple things that really bugged me again. I guess uh, uh, the double team Nate Soldier and uh, whoever was it was it our tight Chad end Smith, on their yeah. defensive end a couple times, and yep. it looks sick. I mean, me, me, and you, Russ, could have did as much. Honest to God, you know, it just looked bad. And then uh, the other thing that ir uh, irks me the most is Ertz being able to run free, like I, I, I've just said there. But on both of their touchdowns, a couple of their touchdown drives where he's just wide open, and really. Uh, you know, a coach like Belichick would double-team him and say he's not going to beat us, somebody else's, you know, and he runs free. That's it. That's what gets me with the coaching, and I really don't know. I think 
they're they're really going to be on the line here whether they're going to be back or not and that's what puzzles me is assignments like that. So who are we playing this week? I really don't know. Is it the Dolphins? The Miami, the Miami Dolphins, Dolphins at home. When I say at home, at MetLife Stadium. Yep. Yeah, and then who do we have after that? And then the Eagles is last. Washington, Washington at Washington yeah. on the 23rd, and then at home 29th up against the Eagles. Yeah, well, maybe we'll have a chance against the Eagles to play to spoiler spoil it yet for them if they get in there, you know, uh, but we did play a good game there, you know, and I did hear you, Rust and you talking the other day. If the offense would have made a play and maybe got a first down or the defense would have made one play in a stop, you know, in the second half, it, it, it could have turned the tide and we could have won. So, But it's assignments that are killing me. So yeah. uh, thanks for taking my call. All right, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Yeah, we were, Paul, Dettino, and myself were talking about it yesterday. Uh, yeah, you could talk about the defense. You, you know, we needed a stop or what, but I, I like, and P- Sherman said after the game. I 0 mean, for 6 on third down in you, the you, second half. That'll kill you. That'll kill you, and that kills your defense, defense because you're not getting off of the field. You're not getting them off. And you could see that as that third quarter ended into the fourth quarter and they started changing the tempo of that football game, you yeah. could see it hit the defense. And the thing that when you look back and you see those third downs, there was two third and fives, a third and four, so it's not like it was begging out and you're going third and 11 plus each and every time. That's where you've got to capitalize on each and every opportunity, especially when you get the ball to start the second half of that football game. When you have a lead, you know that you have to seal and capitalize on the momentum you built in the first half. Otherwise, you're going to give them just that sliver inch of life that we know that they've thrived upon. Yeah, you know, I'm watching the game, and I'll bet you you say the same thing to yourself. 17-3, we're feeling good. Yep. You watching Eli, and, you know, you're feeling good about it, positive, and then nothing in the third quarter, and I'm saying, uh-uh. Yeah, it's... and think about it. With everything that took place without converting those third downs in the second half, without moving the football, and with the defense giving up touchdowns, you still had 153 with three timeouts left and the ball in your hands with, once again, your opportunity to win that football game. Yeah. Nope. I, I, they, they, and again, I thought the killer, one of the callers uh, here yesterday on Big Blue Kickoff brought it up. Uh, it was around the mid- midfield when the uh, defense made a big stop on fourth down. Yeah. And that's when you – that. The last thing you needed at that juncture yeah. was a three and out. It was a three and out. You couldn't have it because that was your time to seal and cap on that momentum and punch them right in the mouth. Right, right in the mouth. Yep. 201-939-4513 is the number. Let's go to Arizona and check in with Marcus. Hello, Marcus. You're on with Russ and David. Hi, guys. Can you hear me? We can hear yes, you. Yes, we can, can hear you, hear, Marcus. Can you hear us? <laughs> yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Hey, uh, I just wanted to say thank you, first off, for what you guys do. Uh, David... Big fan, and thank you for the best birthday ever in 2011. Oh, awesome. Well, February 7th. Well, okay. I'm glad it's one of my greatest days too, buddy. Yeah. So I just want to vent a little bit, and then I want to like talk about something because I don't really have anybody to talk about uh, the Giants out here. Okay, Marcus, um, take a seat on the couch, and we'll work <laughs> with you. Yeah. Now, um, I think my, my big problem with the game the other night was the – the four or five back-to-back-to-back-to-back screen passes that all went for over 20 yards or 10 yards that, like, 
I was telling my wife, I was like, they're going to do it again. They yep. did it again. They're going to do it again. They did it again. I said, hey, they're going to do it on the other side now. They did it on the other side, and that was like yep. the first or second touchdown. Yeah, using so, Ertz down the seams, running those verticals, clearing everybody out, and then dumping mm-hmm. it out into the flat. Yep. Yeah, and then my other whole problem with the, with the, the coaching, and, and I like Shermer and I like Gettleman. Like, I like them all. Like, but – I think the only other running backs that, like, I don't think any other running backs have, like, 10 carries in the last few games. So, when Gallman or Buck Allen's in there, they just tee off on us because they know we're not going to pass it. None of those guys run the ball. We don't have a one-two punch. And Saquon's by far the best player on the team, but you got to let the other guys run the ball or you're predictable. Uh, so, go ahead. Go, that's no. just my... That's just my opinion. I'm not a GM. I haven't played football in 30 years in high school. But my, what I wanted to talk about was, in my perspective, we have way too many first-round picks, whether they're ours or not, to have the record that we have. And that has to be the coach. Like, I think we have nine or ten first-round picks, whether they're ours or not. And they can't all be bust. So the record... And the, the athletes that we have, it can't be talent. It has to be coached because all these guys were taken in the first round. Uh, we have way too much talent, way too much talent for this to be happening. Uh, well, but, you know, I don't have the list of... I'm looking. I'm pulling it up right now. It's at least nine. I know it's at least nine because I counted it out. Like between Peppers, uh, Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Evan Ingram, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley. We'll, uh, we'll go through a Baker, Barkley, yeah. uh, Bethay. Um, let's see. Evan Ingram. There we keep going. Janoris Jenkins, Daniel Jones, Dexter Lawrence, Eli Manning. DeAndre Baker. DeAndre Baker, which we said. Oh, okay. Alec Ogletree. Uh, let's see. Nate Solder. Well, I, I, Mark, and Leonard Williams. Yeah, M- Marcus, I understand. Well, even I was counting the ones that are under 28. I didn't even count Jenkins and them. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I was I just adding them into the mix. No, he, he said anybody who was a first-rounder, so I figured I'd just look at them up and call them yeah, out. No, I, I know. I, that was my bad. But still, I think I counted like nine that are, that are under the age of 28, and I just feel that, like, you got to get somebody in there and not like another coordinator. I'm talking if we're going to change coaches, then it has to be a proven coach that's going to – bring out the talent that is on the roster. The, the roster is filled with so much athleticism and talent. Well, let's hold, Mar- Marcus, let's hold on a second, and, and, and thank you for the call. But, you know, David, I, I, listen, you're the player. You, you, you played next to first-round draft choices. You know, first of all, once you get here, it's not just about it's not about being where you no. drafted. I mean, I, I, well, to a point, it is. It is. But... but uh, That's why we always talk about when it comes to the first round. It's not just about the number you have. It's who you select with that pick. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, if if I'm going to go look at players, well, then I'm like you say the first round players. Well, I'm looking at Daniel Jones. I'm looking at uh, uh, Saquon this year. Well, Daniel Jones is a rookie quarterback yep. playing the hardest position in sports. And Saquon hasn't been himself the whole season, you know, large part due to the injury. 
And okay. I'll just say this. If first-round draft picks equated to wins, then what's wrong with the Cleveland Browns? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you can't just equate it to that. Yeah. You can't just equate it to first round. To be honest with you, I think more of the impact, if you look at a football team and the draft picks, where do the picks from the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh round go? That's where you make your hay in the draft are those players. Well, you you and I just, just alluded to the fact of Julian Love, yep. Darius Slayton. Uh, I, I, l- listen, I'll go back to your teammates. Uh, Amar yeah. Bradshaw. Yep. What was he, sixth? He was seventh. S- seventh round draft. I was uh, a fifth rounder. You, you fifth? Kevin Boss was a seventh rounder. Well, uh, uh, Brandon Jacobs. Brandon was a Jacobs fourth, with a fourth, fourth rounder. rounder. Sean O'Hare was a free agent. Rich uh, Soybert was a free agent. Snee was a second rounder. Kareem was a third rounder. Um, I mean, yeah. you look across the board. Yeah, I, I, I just, um, I, I understand what Marcus is saying. And, I get it. And it's a fair point, but there's more to it than just the number and the round that you drafted in. 201-939-4513 is the number. Let's go down to Orlando uh, and check in with Jose. Hello, Jose. You're on with uh, Russ and David. Hey, Russ and David, how you guys doing? Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I wish we had some Orlando weather, that's yeah, for sure, Jose. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I can blow some up the way. <laughs> well, <laughs> feel free. York, you, you know what, Jose, Jose, take a huff and a puff and blow it our way, please. Yeah, it'll melt all the snow that's outside well, on the ground right now. Well, I'll tell you what, Russ and David, you guys are eventually going to move down here. We All the New Yorkers do after a... Uh, uh, hello. Oh. Oh, uh, Jose, uh, Jose, call back, Jose. Jose, call back, and I promise you, if you call back right away, we'll get you up after the next we call. Know, we know somebody on the inside over here, Nicole. Yeah, She's don't worry take care about of it. You. She'll make sure. All right, just give her a wink, and you're up good. I, I okay? thought he was saying, I thought he was going to get in. He said, oh, sooner or later, all the New Yorkers yeah, move up well, here to Florida. Boom. What is it, the protective custody? Is that yeah. what it is? <laughs> Witness protection. Yeah. 201-939-4513 <laughs> is the number. Is that him right now? No? We'll, if it is, we'll put him right up. Yes. No, not no. him. All right. All right. Well, that, Hopefully that we'll get the him case, back. Let's go to line four and check in uh, to New Mexico with our friend Scott. Hello, Scott. You're on with Russ and David. Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Good. Um, I had a question, uh, actually two questions, one for you, Russ, and one for you, Dave. I'll, I'll start with your question, Dave. Uh, there's a complicated analytics that's done that rates offensive lines at a group called Football Outsiders. I don't know if you've ever heard of them or not. Yes, I have. And they rank the Giants right now 27th in uh, run blocking and 20th in pass blocking. Now, the Giant offensive line was supposed to be the stalwart. And you've looked at the players in the whole season. I don't want to pick out one player or another, but obviously the play has not been what I thought it was going to be, and I thought anybody thought it was going to be based on the early indications of how progressive the line had become. So as you look at it as an offensive lineman and specifically as a left tackle, that's, I assume, the most important position on the offensive line because it protects the blind side. But as you look at the play overall of everybody, is there anything or any indicator to you that says why they're starting to incur problems that nobody actually foresaw? Or, or can you do, or do you have to wait till the end of the season to make a final analysis of everything? One of the things that I think that, I, I mean, if you've listened to the show, Scott, I've talked about this literally all season. 
One of the things that's really hampered the Giants' offensive line and the Giants' running game. What what is going on with our is, phone lines? Go ahead. I don't know. Go ahead. Why don't you? So no, what the was thought? that? The lack of the ability to hit the perimeter and test the edges of a defense. Think about it. When's the last time you've seen the Giants have a successful toss, pitch, run play to the outside where either the tight end or the wide receiver sealed the point of attack and edged the defense to where you can get a big run out there? When you don't have those big runs to the outside, it allows the defense just to condense everything in and fight you from the outside in. When you start getting those edges plays, you start widening them up, and that's what opens the inside zone running scheme. So I think that's one of the issues that moving forward here, especially when we're sitting here looking at this Miami Dolphins game. Miami Dolphins defense has given up 141 yards per game on the ground and 4.6 yards per carry. This is a game that they've got to get Saquon Barkley going because in this one, there's no excuse that they shouldn't. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'll get you back on. It's Scott? Oh, Scott's back. Let's get Scott back. All right, Scott from uh, New Mexico. What's up? Right. uh, I didn't hear your answer, so obviously (laughs) I don't know what you said, Dave. No, I was uh, saying I said one of the issues that's what's happening with this Giants offense and the running game and the offensive line is the inability to test the edges and hit the perimeter in the run game. Think about how many times this season you've seen a toss, a pitch, a run to the outside to the perimeter that tests the edges of a defense to force them to widen out. You can put less than five of them in your brain right now throughout this entire season, and when you don't have those plays where you have a tight end or a wide receiver who seals and edges the defense – all of a sudden, you're going to continue to get them all down into the box and collapse from the outside in instead of widening them out to open up the inside zone running scheme and, more importantly, to hit those play-action passing game plays and those shots that you want to get over those linebackers or over those safeties. What else okay. What else did you have, Scott? You had another question. Uh, question for you, Russ. Uh, You've seen a number of iterations of the Giants teams, uh, as I have, all over the years. What's he doing that? Yeah, picking on my age. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm about the same age as you. Go so, uh, as you see what John Mara and Steve Tisch are going to do, does there ever come a time as they're portending for the future, in other words, what they're going to do next year, where the two of them sort of aren't on the same page if one digresses and decides to go a different way? Because I was just curious, as co-owners, they're going to have to make some important decisions coming up, and you know them fairly well, I would assume. So in your opinion, will they come to a meeting of the minds and say, this is the direction we want the team to go in, depending upon whatever changes they make? And now I'll take your answers off the air, guys. Thanks. Well, Scott, thank you. I, I think, I don't think anything has changed from the past to the present, looking towards the future. I, I also think that this whole thing is we're we going to have to have an open, honest discussion was just a matter-of-fact statement that, yeah. that, that Steve Tisch made at a March of Dimes luncheon, and, and, and he just made the comment, and listen, the way the media is and clickbait and social media, well, let's make this out. You know, it was a fair, uh, you know, yeah. he made the comment, so it was a fair response. But I'm just saying they're always, they'll always be on the same page because they will. that's how a partnership works. There's a meeting of the minds. Some might have disagree. They will come to an agreement. 
I'm not saying that they aren't on the same page, but I'm just saying if one, if you have a difference of opinion of mine and I have a difference of opinion, well, we'll get together, we'll discuss it, and then will we come fo- forth united? You know, uh, Lou Lamarillo, the uh, old general manager, uh, well, the current general manager of the New York Islanders and the architect of all those great Stanley Cup teams for the Devils once told me, and he's one of the best executives, period, in all of sports, he once told me, we can scream and holler, the players, the coaches, everybody can scream and holler at me, at everybody they want behind closed doors. Yeah. But when we walk out that front door, we're a united front. We're on the same page. And if you're not on the same page with me, you start chirping, then you're out of here. Yeah. And that's the way way it was. And I don't think there's any question that Steve Tisch and John Mara are going to be on the same page and will be united. And I think the tough decisions or whatever decisions they, you know, every, everybody is assuming this is going to get done and that's going to get done. I'm not assuming anything. And that's not the New York football giants chamber of commerce talking that that's just yeah. my honest opinion. Yeah, which no, is you're just right. When everybody thinks they know, they don't know, you know, they just don't know this. Going out to the public and airing your grievances doesn't solve anything. It makes matters worse. I, and as all, long as I've been in the NFL and as long as I've been a part of sports, whether it was Coach Coughlin or anybody else, you have any issues, come to me like a man. My door is always open. Let's talk about it. That's what you're supposed to do, and that's the only way to handle things. And that's why when you have an organization like the ones like the Giants have and like the ones that we're proud to be a part of, you know that there may be differences. You may have your right to opinion. I have my right at the end of it. But at the end of the day, it's one goal and one common term, and that's to win together. And that's, that's it. That's a united front. That you know has to be. Well, let's let's travel north, and you know what that means, don't you, David? I got oh, Len. Hallelujah. Was it Charlie? Mr. Illness. He wasn't right in the hat. Enough jokes. I am happy. You're a madman. This is the one and only Charlie from Portland, Maine. How you doing today, Charlie? Two days in a row. What's up, buddy? Hey, hey, Russ. Hey, David. Hey, David. uh, um, PDOC commanded me to ask you this question, so I have to ask you this question. Okay. What? What I, w- what I was saying is, uh, Leonard Williams is a huge man. He's got a huge wingspan. And I was saying, since he doesn't really get to the quarterback and sack him, that if he just, you know, put in his repertoire, knocking down passes, which I think he did in the Philly game, I think it was him, and we almost turned that game around if Golden had caught that batted pass, which didn't happen. But what I'm saying is I just think he could be more disruptive or could be disrupted by knocking passes down, especially in some of those slow replays when the Eagles got touchdowns. uh, Lawrence almost hit those passes. I mean, his fingertips were almost – if you look at the replays when they show the slow motion of the touchdowns, his hands were so close of knocking those balls down. I just think if we do that more often, especially Williams because he's so huge, that it could really make a difference in our defense. What do you think? 
I love you, Charlie, but you're not paying a guy to knock balls down at the line of scrimmage. The guys who <laughs> knock balls down at the line of scrimmage are the pass rushers that know that they can't get home because they're too big and they're not ones that work edges and moves. So they bull rush and they keep the rise on the quarterback to put their arms in the throwing lanes. It is way more important for a player, regardless of whether he gets the sack or not, to get pressure to get a quarterback off of the spot to where he can't function to use the techniques and fundamentals with his footwork, plant and drive the ball that he wants to instead of it sailing off of the back of his foot and knowing that that ball is going to go over the top from where you want it. Prime example, he didn't get the sack, but look at Leonard Williams splitting the left guard and left tackle Peters and causing that penetration that naturally turned into a T-E, a tackle and stunt, where X-Man got a sack on that play and was able to level off. That wasn't a designed stunt. That was just because Leonard Williams was able to penetrate so far upfield that he actually took two blockers off on that play. That alone is way more important than just knocking down a ball. Well, you know, I'm not saying doing it all the time, but it just seems to me that... The only time that you do it is if you're not getting home because you're looking at the quarterback anyways. So if you're not going to get there, you're going to get your hands up in the throwing lane. Otherwise, you're not laying out to go get him. Charlie, it sounds like... That's part of the technique of being a defensive lineman. I mean, you could see a lot of times what you'll see is, is that if they have a three technique and they have a bigger defensive lineman to the side of the running back... He's not rushing, not because he doesn't think he can get there and he's only going for a pass defense. A lot of times he's helping out the linebacker if they run a screen and having the back man-to-man. Charlie, I, I think you're confusing the Giants with the Knicks where you think the Knicks need, <laughs> the Knicks need the, a shot blocker. The, the, you know? they, no, no, no. Uh, uh, uh. No, I, I, just, you know, I just see that you know, defenses make big plays when they deflect passes and knock them down and mm-hmm. people yeah. intercept them. I mean, it happens. I mean, it it, it almost becomes like a tip drill for defensive they, backs. They knocked the play down. It, you know, went back to Wilson. He hit it again. I, they picked it off and ran for a touchdown. I, I, Charlie, I think, and thanks for the call, bud. I, yeah. I, I think more important and what we're seeing out of Leonard Williams, Leonard Williams is pretty disruptive on yeah. the inside. And, and I think because... He had pressures, be, quarterback hits. Because, quote-unquote, he was penciled in as a going to be a, yeah. a, a sack sacker. It's like almost he, he was labeled a slacker, and I don't think that's fair. And one uh, of the things that he does doesn't show up in the numbers or stat box. When you can hold off double teams, penetrate into the backfield, force a running back to cut backside immediately because he sees defensive line color, those are things that are an advantage to you defensively, but you're not going to see that on the box score. No, I, I, I think from, from what I've seen so far, I think everybody, I think all Giant fans are pleased with him. Now, not, Matt, not that Charlie no. wasn't pleased with him, just uh, but like I said, I think now imagine that with game. another dynamic pass rushing defensive yeah. end. Now you have a one-two punch. Speaking of which, because I haven't addressed it with you, you spoke about it yesterday. Marcus Golden played his keister off. Yeah, he played his ass off. I, I mean, he, you know what? And I'll tell you something. From the first play till the last, and he's done that the entire season. He reminds me of your Super Bowl teams. He's got that come-to-work, no-BS attitude. There's never an excuse. I don't care if we win or we lose. Or we lose. He practices hard. He plays hard. His attitude is terrific. You know, and he's you, great in the locker room. You, you learn to appreciate something when it's taken away from you, don't you? 
Boy, he, when he was sitting out with his knee and having those problems, yeah. you could tell that it absolutely killed him. And it was a chance. This was a risk that the Giants took well, by taking Marcus Golden, hoping that we would see what we're seeing out of him this season. Well, I'll tell you what. I, 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 he came out like, like yeah, like he had all a, hell. On, on, I mean, Monday he had night. pressures in oh each one goodness. of the first. What was it? First three drives for the Eagles and the sack. Yeah, I, I think he, he almost, had four he, pressures, he, he had one sack. sack. He almost, yeah. I think he almost had two sacks on the first drive. Yeah. He had four pressures and yeah. two sacks like midway through the second quarter. Yeah, no, he he, he was terrific. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three is the number. Let's go uh, down to Roanoke and check in with Greg. Hello, Greg. You're on with Russ and David Deal. How you fellas doing today? Good. How you doing, Greg? I'm doing well. Thanks for taking my call. All right. Thanks for um, calling. I had a couple things I wanted to touch on, um, and uh, one one question for Dave um, specifically. But uh, I was going to start out with a little interesting tidbit that I had seen this morning. Um, so Janoris Jenkins, since week three, is a seventh rated overall cover corner. Um, I didn't realize he was performing at that level. Um, so I'm trying to start off on positive. Um, I do have an uh, interesting observation about the 2018 draft class because I know we uh, didn't finish out where we were expecting last year, but there was a lot of optimism due to the play of the rookie draft class. And um, when I'm looking at them now, I, I, I honestly can't say I have the same optimism for that class. Um, you know, I'm just spitballing off the top of my head, but I mean, you know, Kyle Oletta, R.J. McIntosh, B.J. Hill is essentially not playing well enough that we need to trade a third-round pick mid-season. Okay, that's where I'm going to stop you because when you play a 3-4 defensive tackle, your job is not to make tackles. Your job is to hold up double teams and let the linebackers run. So just because he doesn't have the tackle numbers doesn't mean he's not doing his job. That's what's called two-gapping. That's why you have bigger defensive ends and bigger defensive tackles that come with the 3-4 system. So I'm just going to th- I'm saying I, I you I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying you have to understand schematically what the roles of those players are. Okay. Well, that's that's fair, but it does seem like his playing time was reduced significantly. Well, um, you have Delvin Tomlinson, Dexter Lawrence and BJ Hill. It no, was no, a no, point no, to no, have no, a rotation. I was talking about the 2018. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Um, excuse me. Yeah, you're I mean, fair point. Um but I guess it, just as a whole it seems like every game I'm watching it seems like Will Hernandez um, misses some some sort of like glaring block, and Saquon gets killed in the backfield. And you know, mis- I understand there's just a lot that goes into it, a lot of miscommunication potentially. But it seems like he hasn't really uh, progressed as we were hoping. And then I know Saquon's been dealing with the, the ankle, but I, I notice it seems like he lacks vision. Um, the, he doesn't hit the holes that are there. And um, where where are those holes that were there? Greg, (laughs) thanks for the call, but I'm going to have to disagree. Uh, Listen, he doesn't have have the rookie of the year has no vision. When when, when you say he lacks vision, look, if you've listened to David and myself or Paul or uh, anybody else here, no, it has not been injury or no injury. It has not been a banner year. For Saquon Barkley, we all would agree. David has brought up on numerous occasions, yeah. as have I. You know, sometimes when it's not happening for you, trying to then, bounce it to th- the th- outside, then you get yeah. to that ugly kind of uh, old habit of you know trying to 
bounce too much instead of just hitting it, which the other night he was hitting it more. Yeah. And, and, you know, and the one time or two times that he had to bounce it, a couple of them were for first down runs. Yeah. So uh, you can't I, live by that. But every once in a while when there's not a hole and the play needs to be made, sometimes you have to do those things. But, but to sit here and say that it's a lack of vision, I mean, you try running through some of those holes. You know, and, and also um, – you know, Will Hernandez. Yeah, Will has had his ups and downs, but you know, I'm I'm certainly not prepared to, to call no, Will Hernandez not at all. like like a mistake. No, I mean, I I think, look, this is what happens when you're two and eleven. Everybody's gonna, of course, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Jose is back. Jose, who we lost that phone call from Orlando, is back. See, I guess you were blowing into the phone to <laughs> yeah. get us that nice Just weather, that warm weather, and, and then you, the wires and everything went cockeyed. <laughs> No, fellas, oh, my goodness, I got to tell you, it's hard to get back on this line. It's like trying to jump on a subway during rush hour. <laughs> well, we're, we're popular. There you go, bud. <laughs> so, listen, you know, I, I appreciate you guys taking my call again so much. Uh, thank you so much again. I, I've called many, many times. I've spoken to everyone on the staff there, mm -hmm. and I love it when you guys are together. Um, but I just want to say a couple things. And, and before I, I always call, I always, you know, try to keep the emotion out of things and not sound like a, a dweeb coming over the phone just talking and just to talk. But Is that possible um, when you're talking about sports not getting emotional? Yeah. Well, true. <laughs> yeah, I get it. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I always look – I'll give you a little bit of background for me. I do a little bit of coaching down here in Florida, not as much – not like NFL or, co or college. But one of some of the things that we talked about, and, and, and I've always been in defense of, uh, of Shermer as our coach because, you know, you got to look at a rookie quarterback. You know, he's, a, he's great with rookies, uh, quarterbacks, and – and, and helping them. Some of the things that you did say, Russ, about gosh, you you know, putting that game plan together and, and putting that wish that game plan would, you know, translate onto the games and, and that's something that, you know, practice you wish would happen. Practice translating from the practice right, field onto right. the yeah. game. Yeah. Exactly. Bring it onto the field. One of the things that, that an area of opportunity, if you will, and, and, and I'm hearing it from not only, you know, people that call but you know, like people like David, like Sean O'Hara, that actually uh, was with you, um, that played with you, David, that basically, you know, said things like, you know, hey, you guys got a, a defensive. Uh, we're playing against the Eagles without a right tackle, without a running back, one starting wide receiver. You got to win games like that. But some of the things that I, that I, an area opportunity, and I'll try to make this quick, I don't want to be long-winded, is in-game adjustments. I'm failing to see in-game adjustments from our coaching staff on both sides of the ball. And when Tommy C. was here, when Bill Belichick and Bill Parcells, all our coaches, they're phenomenal at in-game adjustments because you could have a great game plan. But at halftime, that game plan switches because your opposition makes in-game adjustments. And so do you need to make those in-game adjustments? And I'm just hoping that next year, because unfortunately I'm already starting to think about next year, that – we can have a better opportunity for, to make those in-game adjustments regardless of who our coach is. But I think Gettleman has done a great job, and you guys alluded to that, with the late-round picks. And to people hollering for him to get fired, I think that's ludicrous. But um, I just wanted to state that with you guys. No, I appreciate, well, I, I appreciate it because you actually bring up something that we always used to say, Jose. Thanks very much, Jose. We always used to say, people be like, oh, you know, halftime adjustments, halftime adjustments. We used to be like, halftime adjustments? 
you're not making in-game adjustments, it's already too late by halftime. Because at that point, they've already got a hold of it, and now you're trying to adjust, and they're already one step ahead of you. When you play football or any other sport, it's chess. It's not checkers. You've got to be one or two moves ahead to set things up. And if you don't do that during a football game, you could talk about all you want at halftime. But if you're not doing it while the the momentum of the game is going on and while you make those adjustments, it's, it's not going to work out in your favor. So let me ask you this, David. Uh, those adjustments that one makes, whether it's on offense or defense, uh, and I'm just – I'm not saying this no, is the No, go case. ahead. Ask. I'm asking, uh, is it sometimes – the coaches put in the adjustments and it's the lack of execution that doesn't carry out the adjustments? I think they go hand in hand because number one, as a coach, you have to find out, okay, this is what they're doing. This is what they're running today. We always used to say when you're playing a defense, okay, you know, what's their Baskin Robbins? What's their flavor of the day? What are they going to give to us? There's always one little wrinkle that they're going to throw at you. And how are we going to attack those weaknesses of what they're doing and presenting other than what they've done before? But then also, the second part of that is, is you have to have a veteran team that can adjust to those adjustments, that can make those moves on the run, that can do it in-game because you may have seen something 20 times in a row. How are you going to respond when that one time when it's different? And that's something with a young football team that has to get experience that they learn from those mistakes, and that, that's where you build growth. No, I listen, uh, we, we've been hearing about adjustments all Think the time. Think about this. I'm 21 years old. I'm a starting rookie right guard on the New York Giants, the first game of the season. The first game, Lovey Smith, the defensive coordinator, runs a twist with a Mike Sam strong safety linebacker where they blitz all down the bow of the pocket. I give up a sack on the first play of the game. I'm like, what just happened out here? I come to the sidelines. Why did they run it? That's a blitz that they didn't even show the entire preseason or the year before. I was a rookie starting right guard. In order for me to have gotten it done, I would have had to have communicated to the running back, to the right tackle, and to the tight end to squeeze everything down in order to block it. I learned from it, and it never happened to me again. But sure enough, it's something that I wasn't experienced and used to was this blitz that we didn't prepare for. Uh, well, that's that's why I ask, yeah. is it a matter of c- coaches or, or players? It's and, both. And, and they go hand in players. hand. Okay. 201-939-4513 is the number. Oh, I know this guy had himself a rough Monday night. Our buddy down Len. in Columbia, Maryland. Hello, Len. How are we doing today, my friend? <laughs> Well, I I'm I think I'm over the gut punch, David. Okay. Uh, At least it was, was a, a gut punch, and it wasn't was a, a galata below a, the belt punch. Yeah, yeah, some, or a kick below the belt. Go ahead. What do you got, to, Lenny? To, talk talk about adjustments, David. That last play of the overtime. There's only it's one wide be, receiver on the entire field, and that would be let, Zach Ertz. Let me get your opinion real quick, David, having to do with adjustments. I'm going I'm going to make a statement. You you tell me whether you agree partly or, you know, with me or against me or what. Every play's an adjustment, David. Every play's an adjustment. I mean, you, you can see them pointing, looking at who's on the field, where they're lined up. I mean, you've you got to adjust almost every play. It's, it's not wait till halftime to adjust. But, I mean, like you said, you're adjusting on the fly. I mean, I just, you know, all right, look, nine games. We can't go much further. I mean, we've got to put a stop to it. We can't, can't break franchise records. Uh, we've we, we got to get a win. 
Uh, we we got to break this string. Uh, you know, you know, maybe Sunday, maybe Sunday we get it. Um, let me, one, uh, Lenny, one, Lenny, one are, you, are, are you coming up, Len? Are you coming up uh, Sunday? I, listen, I'm coming up on Sunday, and my major motivation, and I understand if it doesn't work out, guys, my major motivation, I want to see Eli one more time. Mm -hmm. There you go. Well, okay? Hopefully you get that Eli chance, Len. Now, if it doesn't work, I mean, I, I understand uh, the unwritten rules. You, you don't lose your starting job in the training room. Yeah, I, I get injury. that, especially yep. in football. I mean, this isn't Wally Pip and Lou Gehrig, right. okay? I mean, this is... This is train wreck every play, and a guy who's got the starting spot shouldn't lose it while he's sitting in the training room. So if Daniel's ready, I'll, I'll deal with it, watch the game, root for the Giants, but I'm hoping I get to see well, Eli one more time. Listen, Len, you're a big Eli fan. That's understandable. Yeah. I mean, you're, not, you're not alone. I don't think anybody's wishing. I know you. You're a terrific fan. I know you're not wishing uh, ill will or anything. ill will yeah. to, to to Daniel, but yeah, your heart is. Let me see Eli. I get that. I, I get everybody. Let me see him go out on one that. more time in MetLife Stadium, yeah. if that's yeah, the yeah, case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and from from you know, in uh, with with respect to Daniel, um, you know, I I think he learns either, either way. I mean, he plays, and I think he learns and. Like you guys said, if he sits there and he and he and he studies and he watches what happens, if he can't play again, if he can't play, yep. um, I think he learns from that as well. I, I think agree. He learns from that. Hey, let me let me just tell you one one call that one one play call that that really kind of got to me. And you know, every Giant fan in the whole world was very excited um, about what what had happened in the first half of the game. You know, we're winning seventeen to three. We're on the road. We're dominating the hated Eagles. And, and David, I I know you hate the Eagles as much as I do. Um, you know we're dominating, and we get the ball at the start of the second half, and we come out and up instead of you know putting our you know the pedal to the metal, and and just continuing and driving the ball downfield. I mean we we come out with Elijah Penny on the field, Cody Latimer on the field, Damari Scott on the field, a guy who's been with us for like five weeks. All right, Barkley's on the field, but we don't have Slayton on the field. We don't have Tate on the field. We don't have Shippen on the field. I mean, we got the other three guys, and we got Barkley. What play's coming? I mean, we're going to run the ball. We're going to run Barkley up the middle with those three guys on the field. And the play got blown up. And all the momentum going into the second half gets blown up, guys. Yep, and then that, that terrible, remember that third and that third alignment. And that third Come and ten on, was that big sack. In a row. Push, He's rolling. Come on, push the pedal. <laughs> push the pedal and let's go. God, God, that frustrated me, guys. Uh, you this think? Frustrated me. I could tell. I could tell it got under your skin a little. <laughs> All right, look, let's go, Giants. Let's let's get a win on Sunday. All right, let's Len. This stupid streak. All right, Come thanks, on, Len. Lenny. Thank you very much. Come on, right here. Come on, you can see the hand motion. You can, you know, he's moving his hands right now. Come on, oh boy. He, you, Len, you even had Nicole here giggling. Okay, I'm telling you. Uh, All right, two zero one nine three nine four five one three is the number. Uh, oh, we got Peter back yes, now. Yes, Peter. These, uh, these, these Florida guys. Yeah, what, what's up in Florida, there, Petey? Hey guys, how you doing? Good. Welcome hey, back, my man. Um, I'm I'm also from New York, and I did move to Florida as well. But Orlando was way too close to the uh, the cold. Had to get way to the end of the country. Where are Where are you, Pete? <laughs> hey, uh, David, I had a couple quick questions for you. Um, 
I'm not sure if you watch a lot of college football, but uh, do you have a favorite or a top uh, left tackle that's going to be coming in the draft next you, year? You know I what? I, Georgia kid. I'm I, sorry. I usually don't start getting into that stuff till you know probably the end of this uh, December. I mean, I've got enough stuff with the NFL breaking down teams and games, but uh, literally after uh, after December, once playoff football starts, since there's so many less games, obviously, then I'll start doing at least two or three, uh, you know, tackles or guards or whatever that week a day, and then I just start breaking down that way. So I really haven't gotten into depth really watching film on the guards or college tackles yet. Gotcha. Um, the other question I had for you. You know, they say that that kid out of Georgia, that kid Thomas, is a, a plug-and-play left tackle. Do you honestly think that there is such a thing as a left tackle plug-and-play in this day and age? You know, they can't hit in preseason. It's watered down what they can and can't do with the collective bargaining agreement. How long does it take? I, I don't know if you think that somebody could come right in from college pro-ready as a tackle, but does it typically take more than a year or two? It, you know what, to be honest with you, it depends on what system and who their offensive line coach was. You know, if they were getting taught like I was for my entire time in college, a pro offense and, and the fundamentals and techniques that would help me start my rookie year, it's one thing. But if you're running a spread offense, you're not in a two-point stance, you're looking towards the sidelines, you're not in and out of a huddle, those are things that are very hard and difficult to catch up when you get to the NFL game. Not to mention, like I said, the techniques and fundamentals. You know, you can get by in college because you're just bigger and better than that other guy on the other side of the ball. Winning in the NFL at the line of scrimmage is all about being intelligent and making sure that your techniques and fundamentals are perfect playing and play out because one false step, literally a, a one-inch step cutting off on the backside from your foot, if you can see, from your foot going like this to your foot bailing out, that bailout is costing you that split second to get your head across and cut off a three technique. That's how small the margin of error is when you're talking about playing offensive line on the off, uh, at the NFL level. Thanks for the call, Pete. Pr- appreciate it. Let me ask you a question. Uh, and I forget what the rules were when you broke in. Yeah. Uh, with the time allotted now, what what you know the restrictions on what, what, what mini? I could have played with- twenty years. With the, I mean, I mean, really, like the the fact that I mean, training camps used to be training camp. No. Two double practices a day, full padded. No. The off season, we had more opportunities to work. You know, think about it. When there's time off right now, and the Giants are here, running backs and wide receivers and the quarterbacks can't even use the facility to throw a football around. Well, that's what I that's want. That's completely changed. Yeah, but- Before we used to be able to do stuff where we would do offensive line drills and run things on our own without having the coaches here, so, so you can have veteran players teaching the young guys here while you're doing all your conditioning and all your working out. So, having said that, that was my question. Yeah, a, a guy a, a, where you what, what were you fifth or fifth six? rounder? You were yeah, fifth rounder. So you're a guy on the offensive line, a fifth rounder. Was it because you were able to get that instruction and, and that work in, at, you know, from the time you were drafted? What was it? I don't know if the term is easier. I guess was it no, easier I, for you to adapt to the pro game than some of these guys today who don't get that? Time I, I think it was easier for me to adapt to the pro game because I ran a pro style offense okay. for five years at Illinois under Ron Turner, who's Norv Turner's brother, and I was taught by Harry Heastand, who's had over twenty five draft picks, offensive lineman in the NFL, and this is his second year uh, with the Chicago Bears after leaving Notre Dame, and that's what allowed me to thrive. When I was drafted by the Giants in 2003, 
I knew the entire offense. I was watching giant cutups of double teams and offensive line play when I was in college. So all I had to do was switch around terminology. I tell this story all the time. Jim Fossil, my rookie season during rookie minicamp, you know, you split up into the old accordion rooms. You remember in the old stadium? Offense was on one side. The defense was on the other. And they had all the protections on the left of the board. And on the right, they had all the run game. And Coach Fossil came up there and says, is there anybody in here that knows what this is? I raise my hand. He's like, all right, go up there. I go up there and I'm writing on all the protections who the O-line has, the tight ends, and the running backs have. I get done with all the protections and I go to go on the right side of the board. He goes, well, we draft Isaac Newton in the, first, in the fifth <laughs> round. Go sit down. And by the time I turned around, you should have saw the faces in that room. I was the only one out of 25 guys that knew the offense. Teacher's pet. No, but not, I mean, not only that, but think about yeah. right there, the ability not to have to sit there and break down every single minute detail of something that you've never done before. All I had to do was switch around terminology. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three. You know, Jeff has been waiting patiently from Queens. Oh, here we go. We only got a Sorry. couple of minutes, uh, Jeff, so we're gonna I, end I, I don't want to rush It's all you, buddy. We're going to wrap up with you. What do you got for us today, Jeff? All right. Well, I just want to go over a little bit of analysis. Uh, no, not, you know, not, not, not too long, we Jeff. Literally we literally got a minute, but this is all your time, Jeff. You got a minute. All right. You're talking about uh, the good teams make adjustments even if they're winning at halftime. The Giants needed to make adjustments in that game, which they didn't. They came out. They had six possessions, four different possessions, three and out, two possessions, four and out. And even if you're winning in a game, you know you got to make adjustments because the other team is going to make those adjustments. Without a doubt. Pat Shermer is not good at making those adjustments, and that's why in the offseason the Giants, unfortunately, should look to clean house and improve their defense because the defense, I mean, if the defense is on the field for most of the game, you know they're going to get tired, you know they're going to get broken down. And even a team like Philadelphia, with all the injuries they had on offense, they can move down the field with, against a tired defense any day. Well, yeah, but, but, but Jeff, uh, Jeff, thanks for the call. We've got to wrap things up here. But as David and myself were saying before, and I'm not absolving the defense, but at, 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 this is the former offensive lineman saying, the former two-time Super Bowl champion saying, the defense didn't get any help from the offense because, what was it, 0 for 6 on third oh, Yeah, they were 2 for 12 on the day, and the only two were in the first half. Yeah. They so, didn't get a single conversion of a third down in the second half. You, you know, if you can't uh, stay on the field, that, that makes your defense uh, break down. Uh, break down, yeah. exactly. Anyway, that is a wrap on today. Our thanks to the lovely Nicole Barrows taking care of us at the controls, despite the phones uh, crapping out now and then. We still yeah. love her. Our thanks to the big guy over here, David Deal, Amra Salzberg, and most importantly, thank you people for uh, tuning in, because without you people, we'd have nobody here to be talking to. Always remember, Big Blue, Big Blue Kickoff Live every day, Monday through Friday, one thirty to 2.30 on Giants.com. We'll see you next time.